Hi, my name's Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here. Question for you. What do you tell people who are really messing up? What do you tell people when they are going down the wrong path? You're like, stop, mayday, you know? Are you the kind of person who like goes to them very direct, tells them, um, you know, passive tweets? Uh, are you the type who just like stands back, you know, just lets them learn from their own mistakes? What do you tell people who are really messing up? Uh, a number of years ago, I just moved. Um, is new to the town, a, a smaller, a smaller city, and I didn't have much money, and I wanted to get my hair cut, and I told a couple of people, like, yeah, I'm, I have this new style, I'm excited about getting this new style, I said, yeah, I'm just going to go to the, the, the Great Cuts down, you know, by, by the grocery store, you know, haircuts can be expensive when, you, you know, you're, you're establishing yourself, and um, no one said anything to me. No one said a word to me about my choices. And you know, I should have, it should have been a clue to me when uh, I went in and uh, I was the only person in a chair who was not a 12 year old boy. I came out with a mullet. It was not even a tapered mullet. It was like a shelf mullet. The, the uh, length in the front was a dramatically different length than in the back. I just, I asked for a stylish, like I just don't even know what happened. But everyone said, hmm, okay, yep, have fun with this. And didn't tell me that it was a spot for, I mean, it seemed to max out a 13 year old. Boys, no one told me. <sighs> well, what do you tell people who are messing up? Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a letter in the Bible. St. Paul is writing to a church that is messing up, like big time messing up. You should feel kind of glad that our church, uh, kind of like low-key glad that our church does not have the problems that this church does. Churches have problems. Our church has problems. Look at the church in America worldwide. We have lots of problems. These guys... They, they really had lots of problems. We can take a little bit of comfort in this. So St. Paul, what does he tell this church that he started, that he founded, and that is going through bad stuff? Well, you know what? He tells them that the solution is found in Jesus. That there, there's a solution, a reorientation for how they were messing up, and it's all found in Jesus. Uh, this church, their big problem was fighting and divisions, lots of bickering, lots of cliques, lots of uh, groupings and superiorities in this way versus, versus that way. What did St. Paul tell them? What did he tell them? He told them that the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, look to that. Look to what Jesus can do, not what uh, you guys can do, not what human leaders can do. Look to God. God's big act on our behalf, Jesus' death and, and resurrection, will heal our divisions. People divide. God unifies. People divide. It's just fairly normal to, to categorize. You know, it's not great human behavior, but normal. God unifies. He joins us in our mess and brings us together with himself and with each other. Paul says that the cross, Jesus is dying for us, is the antidote to divisions and fights God's sacrifice for us, his overcoming of evil and injustice and oppression on the cross radically reorients and changes us. That's what Paul says to people who are really messing up. He says, focus on Jesus. 
We're in a new sermon series uh, called Our Mess, His Message. I'm just so excited about it. It's looking at 1 Corinthians. I think it's extremely relevant, pertinent, applicable to what we are going through. It's written to a church 2,000 years ago, but it speaks so much to us today. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into our passage together. Wherever you are, if you want to take a couple of deep breaths, just open your uh, heart and your mind to the Spirit of God. Jesus, we give you our our intellect, we give you our emotions, um, we give you who we are today, Jesus. And we ask that you would change us, Lord God. Would you speak something new into our life today? We believe that you have things for us in your word. It's not just an interesting document like scrolling through New York Times articles, learning new facts, but it's going to speak to us personally. And we want that, Jesus. We want to be changed. We want to be uh, immersed in your love and your purpose and your plans for us. We want to have a hope that comes from beyond ourselves this morning. And so we look to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you all be perfectly united in mind and in thought, in purpose and in plan. He's saying, come together. Because why? Some people from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Quarrels is in there. There's massive fighting. The church is about to break apart at the seams. They are fighting about sexual morals, like um, what happened in that communion. They have so many things. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Peter. Another person says, well, oh yeah, well, I follow Christ. Take that. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you when I was with you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized into my name. Paul says like, listen, I haven't done that much for you. Jesus has done everything for you. I didn't come to like baptize and start like church organizations. But then as he writes to these people, he's careful. And so he, he thinks about it. Um, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's not how good I speak. I just, it's all about Jesus, not about the preacher, not about Paul, Apollos, Peter, any of those who were amazing uh, leaders in the early church. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where's the wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher? of this time has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe Jews 
want a, want a sign and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, no matter what you're looking for, if you're looking for amazing, miraculous signs, if you're looking for wisdom, it's all found in Jesus. Both Jews and Greeks, we preach Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He's saying, listen, it is just all about Jesus and we have big ideas and, and great sounding intellectual arguments. It's all about Jesus. And then he gets really personal. Chapter two. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or, or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing lies with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and you know, fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith would not rest on human wisdom or preacher or leader, but on God's power. For I resolved, I was determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is all about just the simple gospel of what Jesus has done for us. And Paul thinks he knows that this will solve the problems of the church's uh, infighting and, and their divisions. And that's really Paul's number one concern, that they've been creating factions, that they think that some of them are like better Christians than others, and they appeal to, to Paul, or like, well, oh yeah, well, Paul said this, and yeah, Apollos said that to, to justify themselves. So for us today, what does, what does this speak to us today? Well, it obviously raises some questions about um, denominations. Um, maybe some of us have heard the joke about um, a man who died and he was spirited away to heaven and uh, he met St. Paul or St. Peter at the gate and St. Peter said, welcome to heaven. I'll be showing you around. They, they, they walk a short ways and come up to a, uh, a beautiful church that's filled with loud singing and clapping and they, they go in and it's you know, an amazing worship service. And St. Peter says, well, these are, these are the Pentecostals and then takes them on to, to another beautiful space you know, on the shores of the lake and people are fervently praying and it's just a, a wonderful scene and, and the man enjoys that church service and then they go into a, a third spot and St. Peter's like, okay, now you have to be very quiet and they tiptoe up Saint, and the man's like, St. Peter, this is intriguing. Like, well, what's this? St. Peter's like, well, these are the evangelicals and they think they're the only ones here so we have to be quiet. Hmm, there's, there's just a tiny bit of truth in, in that joke sometimes. Why do we have so many churches? It is very problematic. Um, but this passage isn't about, you know, why there's so many churches down, down the street or around us in Hopkinton or Milford. It's about us. It's about whether we identify as a certain type of Christian, like, oh, I'm a Billy Graham Christian. I'm a Bill Johnson. I'm a Pope Christian. I'm a, well, I'm a John Wimber type of guy. It's about us. We're not any type of Christian except a Jesus Christian. You know, following Jesus should make us feel more united uh, to everyone. 
to everyone, really. You know, Jewish, Muslim, secular, a atheist. You know, it doesn't matter. We are all just people who, who need God and have so little to bring to the table. But God loves us unconditionally. Um, you know, we don't view people with suspicion or, or superiority. Like, are they liberal? Are they conservative? Like, I don't know if we're, we're like-minded. You know, we view everyone, including our, ourselves, as wonderfully made. Uh, fallen, broken, complex, and dearly, dearly loved by God. That's how we view ourselves. That's how we view others. You know, we're all the same. We're all just fellow travelers. Um, is, is the cross something that, that makes us feel like, yes, we're all in the same boat. Yes, we all need mercy and, for, and forgiveness. Or is it something that makes us feel like, Hmm, well, those people, I don't know where, where they stand, or are they, they Christians, or are they real Christians, or are they good Christians? You know, the cross, if we really look at the cross, it, it unifies us, um, because it is all about what God does, not about what people do. And this is what Paul is, is saying when um, he told the people who were messing up, uh, verse uh, 113, he said, Was I crucified for you? Did I die for you? You know, was I raised on Easter to bring you into new life? No, neither was Apollos, neither was Peter. You know, will, will Rob die for you? Will Stephen throw himself in front of a train for you? I know, I know I won't. Um, you know, will the church save you? No, but Jesus did. What we rely on makes a huge difference church leaders are good i'm so grateful for the church leaders who have you know led me well spoken into my life transformed me but they don't save me well what we rely on makes just all all the difference um you know, I was driving through the uh, Panera drive through I like my coffee and like getting uh, some other things, um, a bagel for the kids or whatever. And um, instead of taking out my credit card, I took out my driver's license and, and gave it to uh, the person at the Panera drive through window. And like, my kids are laughing at me and the, um, the woman just looks at it and takes it back and says, uh, there you go, Sarah. And I'm like, oh, I gave you the wrong thing. Um, my driver's license is good. I, I need it to go to the Panera drive-through. Um, my, my credit card, like what we rely on, they're both good, they're both important, um, but what we're relying on makes a huge uh, difference. The church is great. You need the church in your life. You need good pastors and leaders and, and teachers, but the church will not save you. Jesus saves us. And listen, if we expect people to be God, we are setting ourselves up for major disappointments. Um, I've been to a lot of different churches uh, in my life. Um, I think of the first church I went to, I was in college, um, just really started, you know, getting serious about following Jesus. And, um, you know, went to this great church that really taught me so much about the, the Bible and what it meant to follow God. Um, I was one of the only, you know, like college age person. There's, you know, kids, you know, youth group, um, but, you know, no other like 19, 20 year old uh, kids there. And um, I felt really like um, out of place and, um, and no one really like talked to me or, or interacted with me. And I remember one Sunday I, I sat in the parking lot. I was like, well, I just drove in. Nobody knows what my car looks like. I could just like turn around and, and leave and no one would even know the difference. And uh, I sat in my car. I thought, 
that would make it a little less like socially awkward. Um, I was like, no, like this, this church is like teaching me and giving me um, things that I really needed, but also really like not in, in other ways, but it was great in some ways and not in, in other ways. Um, but I really think that if we have a uh, misplaced trust in other people's, um, in institutions, you know, that's a burden that they're not meant to carry. Um, pastors are, you know, fellow travelers with you. And I'll say personally, from personal experience, I have learned a lot from watching people who were my leaders and teachers as they're just really human and open and honest about what they struggle with and being authentic and seeing like how, you know, the things that they understand that I don't or I do that they, they don't and just they're really opening up about what their spiritual life is like. Um, you know, in seminary, they taught us the uh, like mantra again and again. They taught us, I am not the Savior, but I know who is. I'm not the Savior, but I know who is. As Christian parents, you can't save your kids, but you know who can. As Christian friends, co-workers, we can't save those around us, but we know who does. I'm not the Savior, but I know who is. And the good news is the Savior is so, so good. So, you know, we have, we need to look to Jesus and focus on Jesus. Um, but these guys, they, they had their different factions and divisions and thought that some of them were better Christians than others. But you know what was also dividing them? Being spiritual being so spiritual. Um, some of them are claiming to, you know, have certain gifts, um, spiritual giftings. And, and as we go through first Corinthians, we're going to talk about that a lot more. It's raised on the Lord. We'll talk about prophecy, teaching, uh, wisdom. Um, but Paul says there's only one standard of spirituality and that's the cross. The cross is just a radical reorientation to, to love, um, and to love in the way of a God who is self-sacrificing for us. Why is the cross such a big deal? Why do we make such a big deal about Jesus dying? When Paul says, it's just going to be the only thing I talk about. I, just, I only want to know Jesus and proclaim Jesus and him crucified. It kind of seems like something we'd like to like get over. I mean, like he did rise again. We can just focus on that part, right? Um, I know of a church there, um, you know, they're out west in a, a larger city. And um, every year for their Good Friday service, they go to somewhere where there's been a death, you know, maybe on the highway, um, you know, a, a car accident where there's a cross on the highway or maybe a shooting uh, in, in the city. And um, they, they have their Good Friday service there um, on that spot where, where blood was shed. In, in that spot, they gather out there. It's inconvenient and maybe cold or rainy or windy, but they gather on the spot where blood was shed, where people cried and the ambulance came and they, they tried to, you know, where there was death. And that's where they celebrate their service. That's where they camp out for like an hour and a half. Because Good Friday is about someone dying. Why do we make such a big deal about the cross? You know, I think there are three reasons. Number one, it's entirely God's work. God does everything in the equation. He's the one who dies. He's the one who like takes the, on this horrible task. Um, he's the one who rises to death. We don't help. We don't contribute in that. Um, 
Number two, it's the most realistic assessment of how bad things are. Things were bad. You know, Jesus, a, a persecuted man of a, a minority religion, um, was killed in the worst possible way, unfairly, that a very broken criminal justice system. Um, but also, thirdly, it is the most hopeful outcome for humanity. In the worst that can ever possibly happen, death, there is life. It is the most hopeful outcome for humanity. The cross says that God suffers in solidarity with us and redeems us through that suffering. The whole basis of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is based in the fact that Jesus came back to life. We have life when we follow Jesus. But it is a crucified, bloodied, de defeated Jesus that's raised. Our hope is from the springboard of the cross. Um, hope in the resurrection uh, without remembering the cross leads to illusion. It, like Easter without Good Friday, just God's on my side. Everything's going to work out great. I have victory. That is an illusion. Now, remembering the cross without the hope of the resurrection that gets a, a little dark that leads to resignation when you say, you know, life is hard. I just have to pick up my cross and, and follow Jesus no matter how terrible it is. Good Friday without Easter is pretty dark. And that's why we are champions of the cross. We are cheerleaders for the cross. We believe that it is effective in every way. The foundation of our hope goes deep. The, the stakes are, are dug into the like ultimate betrayal with, with Jesus. Our stakes are dug into you know maximum physical pain on the cross, are, are dug into maddening injustice and unfairness. And still, still, there's a resurrection. That the cross proclaims that there is no depth too deep from which love cannot rise us again. That there's no pain, no, no hurt, no failure, no tragedy from which Easter cannot dawn bright and glorious. And I just think that this is so helpful to us as we go through life, A, because there's a spiritual truth and a pattern and reality that we follow supernaturally of the cross and of resurrection. And also the message is, is centering. You know, very personally, uh, I think about our kids. Um, our kids are adopted. They've been with us for uh, two years, uh, living with us. Um, I think about what the gospel means for them. Um, they're doing so well. They love church. Um, you know, love praying with us, um, but what it means for them who have gone through um, so much, so many changes, so many different families and placements and uh, losses and, um, you know, moving in with us and new family. You know, I think it's good, but it's hard. It's a huge adjustment um, and so much um, for young kids to uh, undertake. Um, but I really think, actually, and I don't want to, to spiritualize you know, the, their lives, um, because there's just so much um, that goes into it. But I really think that, that following Jesus, they need, when they've been through so much, they need to pray to a God who has suffered. But also, as kids who have been through so much, they need a God who points forwards to hope and doesn't say, well, your life has been hard, but says, no, your life can be so much better when you follow me. 
in love. I just think it's, it's integrating, it's healing. Um, and it's just, it's been really just so good for them. Um, as I look at their life and how they kind of cope and, and put everything together, I think following Jesus and following a God of the cross and of resurrection has been so good for them as kids who've gone through a lot in their young lives. So that's why we make such a big deal of the cross. And that's also why Paul says that the cross is the solution to our, our divisions, to our fighting, because we all equally need it and we all equally benefit from it. As someone once says, no one looks up at the, the starry sky at night and says, wow, I'm so amazing. In the same way, no one looks at the cross of Jesus suffering and dying for us and says, wow, I'm such a great follower of Jesus. No, you see Jesus, you're like, wow, that's a lot. You see the starry sky, you say, wow, that's a lot. Not, not me. The ground is even at the foot of the cross. We all equally need Jesus' redeeming. We all equally benefit from it as we choose to partake. The ground is even at the foot of the cross. And it really cuts off the, the pedestals that we choose to build. Um, theologian uh, Jorgen Moltmann says, as I have set the cross at the center of meaning for church and society, in a society that glorifies success and happiness and is often blind to the sufferings of others, people's eyes can be open to the truth if they remember that at the center of the Christian faith stands an unsuccessful, tormented Christ, dying and forsaken. The remembrance that God raised this crucified Christ and made him the hope of the world must lead churches to break their alliance with the powerful and enter into solidarity with the humiliated. You know, if we follow Christ, there just there isn't much chasing after success or power. The, the cross answers the question of whether we should be better and richer and more successful and popular. It says no, Jesus wasn't. But the resurrection says that life will be glorious. We, we so often think what the cross means for us. That's what we've done you know, this, this whole time, thinking what the cross means for us. But as we end, I want to actually think what the cross means for God. Kind of flip that the, the other way. You know, um, we know the implications. We know the benefits of Jesus is dying for us. Um, but what are the implications? What are the benefits or, or contingencies of God coming and dying uh, for us? What implications does this have on God? Well, I think it means for God that he is all in. He is totally invested. He has taken all of his ships, shoved them in as, as angels in all of heaven gasps at the bold move. God is totally invested in humanity. You know, he, he, he bled red and he cried and, and screamed over you and me. That has some pretty like amazing ramifications on who God is. The ancients, the ancient philosophers like Aristotle, you know, they saw God as the ultimate human being, ultimately smart, rational, like kind of like a big brain in the sky, you know, ultimate smart being. Um, and dispassionate. 
that God stood by in his superior intellect and shook his head at uh, the, the folly of humanity. God was a bystander. The Christian God says that God is suffering, crying, and dying. God is not a bystander. Whatever you are going through, whether it's finances, marriage, just stress, health issues, seeking fulfillment, uh, um, relationships, whatever it is, God is not a bystander. He does not stand out and say, mm, I wish they could get their life together. God enters into all of what humanity, all of what I'm going through, all of what you are going through. God is not a bystander. So as we worship together this morning, we're so grateful for the cross, so grateful for what God has done for us. It is all about him, and we get the joy of just doing life with each other. No matter our differences, great, great or small, we get to do life together, and we get to focus on Jesus as God guides us and leads us.